Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Her Health, the show that reprioritizes your to-do list and puts your health first. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, AVP of Communications for Providence. This season, we're talking about why midlife health matters. Because beginning at the age of 35, women face increased risks for many conditions, and it's so important to know what to watch for and get the recommended screenings. Our goal is to help women make informed healthcare choices for themselves. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. Sharzad Akberry, a dermatologist with Basie Medical Group in Porter Ranch, California. And we are continuing our conversation about all things skin and aging gracefully. Remember, everyone, if you have questions for our expert, please share them with us on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter under Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram. Use the hashtag HerHealth, that's hashtag HerHealth, and we'll be on the lookout for your questions. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our return guest today, Dr. Ackberry. Well, Dr. Ackberry, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm I'm really excited about this topic because I feel like I have a lot to learn in this space. And as a woman in my, um, let's just say 40s and call it a day, um, I would like to, to live a little bit longer longevity of my skin. So tell us though, before we get started on all the fun questions, um, tell me a little bit more about your area of focus and, and, and how you got into it. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mary. I'm so excited to talk to all of your listeners today. So I am a board certified dermatologist and a dermatologist wears many different hats, but our specialty is uh, focused on the hair, skin and nails. And as a dermatologist, we treat really over 3000 different skin conditions related to the hair, skin and nails. Um, So it's a very diverse field. Um, There is so much fun in what we do. We get to see patients of all ages, which is one of my favorite parts about the field. And my main specialty is is really focused on medical, surgical, and cosmetic dermatology. Um, The medical always comes first, of course. And then, of course, with cosmetics, we have so much interest in it within the general population and with all of my patients that I see. Um, So we have a focus on that as well. Well, let's talk about the, the difference between the two. Give us some examples of medical versus cosmetic. I think we know, but let's just go for it. Yeah, so a lot of medical conditions are things like acne, psoriasis, eczema, um, lots of different inflammatory or autoimmune conditions. Those are the things I see kind of on an everyday basis. But with all of those conditions, because they manifest on the skin, come a lot of cosmetic concerns. Now, why do I have a dark spot after a pimple has left? Or, you know, why do I have this red mark? Um, It's bothering me, it's in photos, things like that. So you can't really talk about medical dermatology um, without having, you know, some component of, of a cosmetic discussion with your patients, because it always comes up because patients want to know what's on my skin, you know, what's going on here. What are the other things we should think about? Like, I I hear a lot about getting a good night's sleep or hydration or my Mm -hmm. nutrition and all of those things. What are some of the things we can do that we can kind of help ourselves out with? So definitely sun exposure is our biggest risk factor for not only aging of our skin, but skin cancer as well. So sun protection from a very early age is critical. And I think it's fantastic the way that 
the the younger population of today has been so almost obsessive about skincare and about sun protection. What about, um, for the women out there, what about um, makeup with SPF? Is it just as effective? Makeup with SPF can be effective. Of course, it's better than nothing. Um, but a lot of the times with the makeup, I see an SPF of about 15 or 25. And the, it's not the primary purpose of the makeup to protect you from the sun. It's to be makeup and to cover any blemishes. So I always say it's not bad if they have one that has that in there, but I would always add in an additional layer of protection on top of it. And we're seeing that a lot with so many products out there right now. There are so many that are trying to do combinations of different things, which can be helpful, but I always caution patients to into kind of falling for the belief that one cream is going to do everything for their face. So we talked about key ingredients and I can elaborate on that a little bit more, but rather than looking for one skin product that's going to melt away 10 years, our skincare really has to be a series of daily choices and, and habits that we have that makes a big difference. Just like every other aspect of our health, you know, just like our bone health. When we're young, we need to get more calcium and vitamin D on a daily basis. We need to do more strength training so that when we are older, we have less risk of osteoporosis. Same thing with your skin. You have to really take care of it every day and make good, healthy choices every day when it comes to your skin in order to reap benefits when you're older. No, that's so true. It's so true. And and I would caution anybody out there who's in their young, you know, teens, 20s, whatever, listen to this woman, because the rest of us who have gone through this, and we spent the time in the sun, and we didn't apply our sunscreen, We've got things like age spots and melasma and all these things mm-hmm. that we're trying to contradict. And it's so it's such a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Now, going to some skincare products or some other products that you might be prescribed or recommended by your dermatologist for those concerns, because we can't always go back. We can't go back in time and change the way, you know, we took care of our skin when we were younger. Um, But certainly, like I said, it's never too late to start with your sunscreen. The other thing that you might find that your dermatologist recommends or prescribes for you is the topical retinoid. Now, topical retinoids are synthetic versions of vitamin A, and they work in many different ways, but they've been kind of known as our gold standard prescription wrinkle cream. They are applied to the face or neck and chest, even back to the hands, wherever you'd like, and it helps normalize the way that the skin cells turn over and helps really prevent a lot of wrinkling down the line. So... There's a little bit of low-grade irritation with a topical retinoid whenever you start it, which is probably the limiting factor with a lot of patients when they start using it because they start putting it on and they notice I'm getting a little dry, I'm getting a little red, and I'm starting to peel a little bit. Um, Now, I always tell my patients it's normal, so so stick with it because the benefits are so incredible when you are in your 70s, 80s, and you've been using a topical retinoid since your 40s. So what we're looking at with topical retinoids is we just want to always use a tiny pea-sized amount because a little bit goes a long way. Um, We can also decrease our application in the beginning to every other night or even three times a week to make sure that we're able to tolerate it and that we're not getting too dry or too, um, too flaky from it. 
And then over time, our skin actually gets a little bit used to it and we can actually increase our strength of the retinoids. But it helps decrease our, the appearance of our fine lines and wrinkles. It helps our skin cells turn over. It helps increase our collagen content. And also it helps brighten up some of our lighter, our darker sunspots and kind of give an overall smooth, bright texture to the skin. Um, so with all my patients who have any kind of concern, that's definitely number one that we, you know, well, sunscreen's number one, that would be number two to, to use in the evenings. I hear a lot, maybe it's not lately, but I've been hearing a lot more, I think about like vitamin C serums and mm -hmm. like vitamin C masks and like even those like almost like paper looking masks that people are applying. Like are, are those things effective? Those things are pretty great. Um, so vitamin C and another vitamin, which is called niacinamide, or which is a form of vitamin B3, both of those have become very popular lately. And vitamin C is an antioxidant. It actually is required in our body to for many different functions, but one of them is actually collagen our collagen production. And topical vitamin C serums, they would be applied in the morning. They do uh, cause sometimes a little bit of low-grade irritation, but over time and depending on your skin type, there's always, there's probably a vitamin C serum out there for everybody considering how many options we have on the market. But the, the purpose of them is to help decrease oxidative damage to our skin and help prevent the spots from coming. They can lighten up some of our dark spots. So from an anti-aging perspective, I do often recommend a vitamin C serum if that's what the patient is looking for. A topical niacinamide, you might see that mixed in with a vitamin C serum or you might see it on its own. And that also is one of the components of our cells that helps repair DNA damage and it helps our cell turnover, it helps decrease fine lines and has also actually been used a lot for acne. Um, so it's, it's a bit anti-inflammatory. So those are two great additives that you would use maybe in the mornings and then layer on your sunscreen afterwards, and then add on your topical retinoid at night. So it sounds like a lot of steps. And certainly it can be um, if you're looking to kind of turn back the clock and, and to prevent anything from getting worse. I would say those are my, my main ingredients that I would look for in products. Um, but everybody is different. And it's a little bit of trial and error to make sure that you're using a product that's not going to irritate you too much and not going to break your bank. Um, you don't have to spend two, $300 on a serum that holds all the promise in the world. And it, it's really, it's really, I would hesitate in saying, you know, that one thing is going to correct five or 10 years. It's about everyday choices. That's like the story of our life, food. Yeah. You know, every, everything in life is a choice that will affect you later, but you, everything. uh, we have so many questions, but you know we weren't going to get through this uh, topic from the ladies if we didn't ask you about Botox. The good, the bad, the ugly, the help. What's what? What? what I, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Should we do it? Should sure. We not? Absolutely. I love Botox. I will say that. So Botox is, um, there are actually, there are four different botulinum toxins out on the market right now. So when we say Botox, Botox is a brand. It's like saying Kleenex for tissues. Um, but essentially, they're all very similar. There are some differences between the four different types. But it actually is derived from a bacteria, um, believe it or not. And it's a toxin that actually will decrease the transmission of acetylcholine 
in the nerve and will paralyze the muscle for a short period of time. So usually the paralysis of the muscle is about three to four months. It differs for every person. Now, Botox has been around for quite some time now. It's probably the number one cosmetic procedure that's performed in offices. I think if not in the United States, in the world, I'm not sure on that stat, but definitely I think in the United States, but um, it's, it's a wonderful procedure to help with fine lines and wrinkles. Now, Botox is really meant for people who have stronger facial muscles that have resulted in wrinkles that are there at rest. So when you are kind of just sitting and you can see either the little, um, we call them the 11s in the middle of your eyebrows or the horizontal lines or the crow's feet around the eyes, it works great for those indications. So mainly on the upper half of the face, although there are some uses for Botox on the lower half of the face. And Botox is not going to volumize, um, that would be a filler, but Botox injections, you would basically go see your dermatologist, you would talk about what areas are bothering you the most, is it the spots around the, is it the lines around the eyes, is it that you look like you're scowling all the time, um, you know, you make a determination about what area you want to treat. And then it's a series of injections in those areas. And the dosing and the placement of those injections is really where the art kind of comes in and the science comes in because there can be complications with Botox. We don't want to, um, to droop an eyebrow down. Um, we also don't want to droop it up and look like Spock from Star Trek. So there's, there's a lot of um, nuances that we have to pay attention to because everybody has different tone within their facial muscles and everybody requires a little bit of a different dose and different placement of Botox. Um, it's not cheap of course. Um, so it, it's not for everybody, but it can definitely give a softer look to the face um, and to the, that area that's bothering you. Um, and, and I love it. <laughs> I think I just heard you say you can help people with resting bitch face. Yes. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Well, you, you hit on all my things. I think I have the 11s and I know I have the crow's feet, but that's my upper half. Talk to me about this, this, waddly turkey little thing I have on Under my chin. That, yeah, can we fix that? So with not necessarily with Botox, um, but the submental area, we all have a little bit of a fat pad there. And that fat pad can be more exaggerated than others. And that submental fat pad is what gives us our quote unquote double chin. Um, so when people who have a lot of fatty tissue there, there is a treatment called Kybella that can be injected that will help actually dissolve that fat. Um, now that's also a, a costlier procedure. It takes multiple treatment sessions, um, but patients have seen good results with that. If there isn't a lot of submental fat there and there's a lot of looser skin, usually um, it could be more surgical in nature, whether it's like a mini facelift or there's something called threads that can help, which are um, sutures that are actually barbed that help pull and tighten if somebody's not ready for surgery yet. Um, so there's a lot of different things that can be done. There's also radio frequency um, types of procedures that can the way basically use radio waves to help increase collagen protection and to gradually tighten the area over time. So there's lots of different options. There's not one option in particular that is the gold standard for that area. It just depends on what the patient's looking for and what um, what their situation is. You know, is it is it a lot of fat? Is it just laxity? You know, what's actually going on? Well, it's time to take a quick break, but we are fascinated by this topic about aging gracefully. So when we come back, we are going to continue. 
back with our guest, Dr. Sharzad Akberry, and today we're talking about aging gracefully and all things skin-related. Well, you just mentioned collagen, and I know we had a question from social about, I've seen so much collagen, collagen water, all of these different things on Instagram and Facebook. Are they effective? Mm-hmm. So collagen is all the rage right now, basically. And collagen is all throughout our body. It's in our skin. It's in our joints. Um, There's so many different types of collagen. But the collagen that's in our skin sits in the second layer in our dermis. Um, So you have your epidermis on the top, and then you have your dermis in the second layer, which has this nice pink fluffy look to it under the microscope when we're nice and young. When we age, and this goes back to our sun protection, when we actually look at skin biopsies under the microscope, which is a huge part of our dermatology training, we see that that nice pink fluffy collagen changes to a lavender hue, and it actually has little cracks in it. So people say, oh, my skin is not how it used to be. And I can say like, yeah, I know it isn't. When we look at a biopsy from a 20-year-old versus a biopsy from a 70-year-old, the composition and the um, the thickness of their collagen is, can be drastically different. So collagen is basically made of, of amino acids, it's proteins that bind together and uh, form these crosslinks. And some of the properties of our, of our collagen are, of course, inherited. Um, and a lot of it we can't control. Now. I have a bit of a problem with the with the collagen supplements because they're proteins. So when patients are taking supplement, it just doesn't make sense to me. I know they've become very popular, but when patients are drinking collagen or taking supplements of collagen, um, our stomach acids degrade those. So I don't, you know, I, I don't really give too much weight to it, to be honest with you. I know that it's a really popular area and it's a, a booming market right now. I think more research needs to be done of whether or not drinking a collagen drink can actually change the composition of the collagen in our skin. Um, I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to that. What about the, the I don't know, is it micellin, micellin, the, whatever the waters are that are supposed to be like custom waters that go with your moisturizers? Do those things work? Yeah, so a micellar water. So a micellar water, oh, okay. yeah, micellar water has been around for a very long time. And it's basically a purified water that has some hydrating ingredients, usually like a glycerin and then some surfactants that basically makes it act like a soap. So um, I like micellar waters. I think they're very mild and gentle. They're great for people who have sensitive skin. I use them to remove my makeup. Um, because I find that it removes it nicely without any oily debris. Um, so my fair waters are great. Um, the other product that I think we, um, we talked about collagen and everything, what we didn't talk about is hyaluronic acid. So hyaluronic acid is something that people are seeing a lot in all of their serums and in a lot of different products out on the market. Now, hyaluronic acid is actually what's called the glycosaminoglycan, and our body makes it within our dermis. It sits there, and it acts as a hydrating type of protein. It basically drags water into our skin and contributes to the plumpness and the youthful appearance. So as we age, our collagen diminishes, and we believe our hyaluronic acid diminishes as well. So topical hyaluronic acid products work nicely to give a more hydrated appearance to the skin. Um, do they actually affect the, co- the uh, composition underneath in the dermis? I'm a skeptic on that too. But 
Well, you see with a filler, um, which is uh, which is what a lot of people are injecting right now into the cheekbones and into the lips, a lot of those are made of hyaluronic acid and they will help restore volume. So hyaluronic acid is really popular. Micellar waters are usually more so for cleansing and just kind of a, a purifying feeling. Um, but I, I do like a hyaluronic acid serum. I feel like it makes my skin look more hydrated. It helps your makeup feel a little bit more smooth when you put your makeup on. Um, so, so that's a great product out there as well right now. Talk to me about chemical peels. Are those, are, is that something that you as a dermatologist would do? Yeah, I, um, I do chemical peels. I don't do them in my office right now where I work, but I have in the past. And a lot of dermatology offices will have estheticians who will do chemical peels. And chemical peels can be a great adjunct to whatever um, skincare routine you're doing. So a lot of the times we use them for patients who are acne prone and who, uh, or maybe who just have a lot of dark spots and they are looking for a brighter complexion. There are a lot of different peels out on the market and a lot of different ingredients in the peels. And so when you decide to do a chemical peel, hopefully the esthetician or the dermatologist who has assessed you has determined what maybe your concerns are and what type of peel you would benefit from. So there's glycolic acid, there's salicylic acid, there's something a little stronger called TCA, and that comes in varying concentrations. And all these peels, they're layered onto the skin for a, a short period of time, and then they have to be neutralized. So they're acids. So they, they'll be a little bit of stinging, a little bit of burning. Um, of course, we want to make sure that you're going to somebody who knows what they're doing so that they're protecting your eyes and your uh, around your mouth and your nostrils because that's not a fun day when you get a little bit in your eye. Um, and then afterwards, the peeling takes place usually about three, three to seven days afterwards. Now, I think people used to think what well, a chemical peel means I'm going to have no skin left on my face. I'm going to have a complete exfoliation. But they've really changed these days. And it's not necessarily about a dramatic exfoliation of the skin. It's about a small kind of um, microscopic peeling that really over the over a series of peels will make a difference in complexion. So chemical peels can be a great add-on for dark spots or for acne prone skin, but usually they have to be done in a series. Um, so it's maybe three, four or five peels separated out maybe every four to six weeks where you'll really get the benefit. What about um, laser treatments or laser therapy? What is What's that about? So lasers, just like every other aspect of dermatology, are very diverse. So there are so many different types of lasers out there on the market. And basically, laser, if patients might not know, is actually an, ac an acronym. It stands for Light Amplification by Stimulated Emission of Radiation. And lasers are physics. It's pure physics. So you really have to know what your target is when you're using a laser. And oftentimes you're using um, a laser based on a certain concern, but you have to make sure that the patient's a good candidate. So let's talk about hair removal. With hair removal, we know that the target with the hair is the melanin within the hair. So that means that we need a dark hair and ideally we need that dark hair on a more fair skinned base in order to get maximum results. Let's say we don't have that. Let's say we have a, you know, uh, a dark hair on a dark base or 
a white hair. Well, that's when we run into issues of thermal injury or what's called post-inflammatory hypo or hyperpigmentation. Um, so it just depends on your skin type. Definitely, I recommend going to a, a board-certified dermatologist if you're interested in lasers um, in order to, to determine if you're a good candidate because lasers are very complex and not everyone is a great candidate. When it comes to dark spots and red spots, um, there's lots of different devices that will help. There are some what we call ablative lasers that will, will actually result in an exfoliation of the skin and a more youthful appearance once it, it heals. But that's a pretty intense process. I wouldn't start with that. That's usually in a patient who's maybe done some other things for their skin before going to that. And that would be something like in place of maybe a mini facelift that you would want to do for rejuvenation. Um, so yeah, lasers are wonderful. They're a lot of fun. They, they bring great results. They usually require multiple treatment sessions. They usually are also not covered by insurance, unfortunately. So you really have to make sure that you're seeing somebody who's maximized your, um, your skincare health in all the ways that they can before jumping to a laser. Wow. We had so many questions for you today. Um, one, one question we got in was, why am I still getting acne late in life? I thought it would go away once I became an adult. I hear that all the time because we think we associate acne with teenagers because that's when our hormones kick in and our hormones then act on our oil glands. And that's why we see an abundance of acne in our teen years. Um, but we know now that acne is not just a disease of the teenager. We see it, I see it on a daily basis in patients in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even higher. And it's hard to know 100% why that is. We've been trying to figure out, you know, is there one thing in particular that's causing it? And I think it's different for everybody. Um, hormones get blamed a lot. And I think that there is some truth to that, especially when I see women who have uh, large cystic acne along the chin and jawline. We do know that that tends to be more of the hormonal pattern of acne. So then I have my patients asking me, okay, so what does that mean? Do I need to go on a birth control? What's wrong with my hormones? You know, do I need to see OBGYN? And it just depends. Um, a lot of the times, I'll, if I have a patient who has acne later in life, we'll, we'll take a look at all their medications that they're on. We'll take a look at their menstrual cycles, make sure that they're normal. There's a condition called PCOS that a lot of times can go underdiagnosed that patients can have that could be contributing to acne. Stress also causes acne. Everybody asks me, you know, is it from stress? And I say, mm, probably, you know, it's not, whether it's from the stress or whether or not the stress is making it worse, it's hard to say, but stress can make anything worse, of course. Um, but it's not necessarily a disease of teenagers. And, um, and the earlier you get in to see a dermatologist and come up with a plan, the less likely you are to have those acne scars because oftentimes the acne is easier to get under control with with the, the appropriate medications it's the scarring and what we call the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation that can be a real pain to get rid of so when you when you talked about medication that made me think we had a question come in from someone who said you know can my medication or my supplements impact my skin yeah they definitely can so certain prescription medications can make acne a bit worse and we know that certain antidepressants anti-seizure medications in particular most birth control pills will actually help acne um, if it's a combined oral and or combined estrogen and progesterone contraceptive pill. But we do know that the depot shot tends to make it a little bit worse. 
long-term steroids can make acne worse. Um, but of course, a lot of supplements that people take too. And the problem with supplements is that they're not regulated by the FDA. So we don't know what's in the supplement. It might say what's on it on the bottle, but there's not really somebody fact checking that. Um, so because of that, it's hard to predict exactly what if your supplement is making the acne worse or not. A few key ingredients, we do know that whey protein powders tend to make acne a bit worse. And there's been a lot of conversation about dairy. And there has been evidence to show that dairy can make acne a bit worse. When I what I like to tell my patients is that if there's something that you are ingesting that you notice you break out right away after, the best thing to do is just to avoid that that one thing. For a lot of my patients, for whatever reason, it's peanut butter. Peanut butter has like the best, worst reputation when no. it comes to acne. I know no. it's, it's it's so weird, but all my patients say, you know, every time I eat peanut butter, I get a zit. I'm like, okay. Stopping, maybe switch to almond butter. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, but when it comes to diet and acne, um, it's hard to know, you know, what actually is causing the acne because we try to blame so many things on our diet, but we can't really study our diet in terms of acne because it's so hard to control the variables when when um, researchers are doing studies. So I always just tell them, if there's something that is making you break out, definitely avoid it. Let me know. I actually had one patient this morning who um, came in because of breakouts around her chin and her jawline. And she said it started three months ago. And so I'm thinking three months ago, you know, time is kind of warped. I'm like, oh, it must be the mask. Like, you have, it's because you're wearing a mask at work. Yeah, and then I right. thought... I thought, all right, I thought, well, it's August, and she was talking about three months. We started wearing masks back in March. So I said, is there any, have there been any other changes? And she said, well, I actually started uh, going to a diet clinic, and I started taking fentramine for diet. Um, oh, wow. And I was like, bingo, there we go. That's why you have acne. <laughs> and then I counseled her because fentramine is really not a safe long-term option for weight loss. It can have a lot of problems Absolutely. down the line. Yeah, yeah. So I, I scolded her a little bit, but <laughs> basically there, there's a lot of different things that can be implicated in acne for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I know we're out of time, but I have one last question for you because you mentioned the masks. You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic and we do have COVID to deal with. How does that impact your, your field? I mean, can I schedule an appointment with you virtually? Yes, we do have virtual appointments. And when COVID really um, started and when we really shut down everything, um, we were really only seeing patients who had emergent needs only. So spots that were bleeding, painful, or rashes that were spreading everywhere. And that was about it. So we added in virtual visits for our other patients. So we were doing them via Zoom and I'm still doing them today. I would say that the majority of my practice, about 90% has switched back to in-person appointments, um, which I definitely prefer because we need to see and touch and feel um, in order to do, to do my job and to do procedures as well. The biopsies, we talked about the freezings, we can't do any of that virtually, unfortunately. Um, but being able to, to address a lot of other needs like acne, rosacea, eczema, psoriasis, those were done beautifully virtually. So it's nice to be able to give patients the option, you know, if they feel that they're nervous about coming in or if they're in an area or if they've been recently exposed or diagnosed with COVID, they can definitely make a virtual appointment with me. And I think that most dermatologists around the country have adapted to that and incorporated that into their practice now. Well, thank you, Dr. Ackberry, for joining us again today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. To get expert tips and advice for living your healthiest life, visit Providence.org. 
Thanks for listening. I